Welcome to the McGuire Iron Podcast. My name is Brian Cooper. I'm the Director of Marketing at McGuire Iron and your host for this podcast. At McGuire Iron, we've been helping to store and protect quality water for over 100 years. On this episode, we will discuss water tank mixing, how to know if your tank needs a mixer, how to install one, and what new technology is being used in the water industry with Michael Christensen of the Medora Corporation. To help us learn more about water tank mixing, the science behind it, and how you can use it in your water tank, I am joined by Michael Christensen of the Medora Corporation located in Dickinson, North Dakota. Michael is Medora's East U.S. Sales Manager and has been with the Medora Corporation specializing in water tank mixing for over 20 years. Michael, thank you for joining me on the McGuire Iron Podcast. Thank you. Let's talk about the Medora Corporation. What what does Medora do? Medora Corporation is uh, a company that's 40 years old. We started out in um, the uh, sales of pumps and so on. And in 2000, we developed a, a mixing system called SolarBee. And from that point on, we developed more mixing systems using that same concept. And so uh, we're a manufacturer of mixing equipment for potable water, wastewater, and freshwater reservoirs. So you talk about that you started 20 years ago with one mixing system. How many mixing systems do you currently have in your line of products? We have three different types, uh, solar, electric, and air mixing. And within each one of those categories, there are probably five or six mixers as well to take care of the different sizes uh, of applications. So I guess what I'm getting at is in 20 years, you guys have seen a little bit of growth in the industry as it pertains to uh, water mixing in general. Yes, we have. It's been uh, very exciting. And uh, the potable water mixing has uh, actually led our way here the last uh, 10 years. Well, you know, since we're in potable water, let's start there. When we talk about tank mixing in the potable water industry, what are we really talking about when somebody says water tank mixing? Um, A water tower um, has uh, water moving in and out, but uh, it it can be very slow. And active mixing, which uh, our GS uh, mixers provide, will keep the water equal top to bottom. And when you keep the water top to bottom, you, you move your warm water to the top in the wintertime. In the summertime, you destratify the tank and keep your chlorine residual equal top to bottom. Because I don't think a lot of people realize, especially in the wintertime, the water that comes into a water tower is warmer than the water that's actually in there. And so that's, you know, it's mixing the water, but your mixers, how do they work? What do they do to help that process along? Well, one thing I will say is when you get water from a well, that's when the water is warmer. If you get water from a river or a lake, it can be just about as cold as the water in the tank. So, you know, a little bit of difference there. But when you bring in water from a well um, in the northern part of the country, it's around 55 degrees. In the middle of winter, if the outside temperature is near freezing, you know, that 55-degree water is what you want to bring in, and it will fairly it'll cool to probably around 40 degrees, which is the heaviest water you can have. By having active mixing, you push that warm water to the surface and keep ice from forming. So now when we talk about an active mixer, 
from SolarBee, which is one of your guys' products. Paint a picture for people in their mind. What does this thing look like in a water tank? It sits on the bottom. Um, our particular mixer is a uh, picture a 10-inch tube, about 30 inches long. Water comes in on one end, goes through an impeller system, baffle system within the unit, and it releases through a slit about a quarter inch wide on the top of the uh, mixer and pushes water to the surface of the tank. So sim- pretty simple technology when it comes to it brings water in and then pushes it back out at a certain rate to get the water mixing in the tank, correct? Right. And the baffle, the baffle system that we have within the mixer itself, the slit allows it to put pressure equally along the slit on the top. That um, slot on the top of the mixer is anywhere from 24 to 32 inches long, quarter inch wide, and that pressure has to be equal the full length to get a nice ribbon flow of water moving. Let's talk about some of the issues in water tanks that would tell somebody that, I mean, I'm sure you guys recommend that every water tank have a mixer in it, but what are some of the issues that pop up that say, okay, I have this issue and a active mixing system will help in this scenario? Well, being it's December. Especially the, here in the north. Right. We are, we're dealing with cold water and icing concerns in water tanks. And that's the primary issue that we deal with this time of the year or talk about this time of the year aren't necessarily able to always put a mixer in this time of the year, but anyway, you've got water coming into the tank. If it's coming from a well, it's going to be warmer. You want to take that water and move it to the surface so that you get good movement and keep the ice from forming. It may not be 100%, but you keep the center open as much as you can so you don't have the pressure on the sidewalls. And when you do get those 30, 35-degree days, you start taking ice off the sidewalls and other things. So it just keeps up with the ice formation and keeps working at it. Because, is, as everybody knows, in a water tank, the chances of getting ice in it are the greatest when you know it's at night, you have your lowest demand periods because you're not putting taking water out of the tank and putting water in. And so this, a mixing system helps continuously move that water no matter if there's demand or not. Yes, that's correct. The other thing that's important to, to, to note is that the amount of water you exchange each day is very important. If you don't exchange enough water, you don't have enough heat coming in to take care of the ice formation on the surface. 20% turnover daily of the tank, not just what goes through your whole system, but make sure it's a 20% of the tank itself. Or if you're dealing with a, a riser, wet riser that's fairly large, make sure you take that into account too, that you're just not exchanging the water that's in the riser of the tank. That's a great piece of advice, and especially because you know you can have tanks from 50,000 gallons up to a million and a half gallons. So using that 20% equation is a is a good way to think about how much water you're actually exchanging. It, exactly. And, and you know, use your skater records, you know, how much you're drawing it down before you start filling. You know, those are good indicators to really tell you how much water 
you're moving through the tank. So we talked about icing a little bit. What are some of the other issues? You know, we serve customers all across the country. What are some other common issues that give you a sign that an active mixing system may be something you need for your tank? Well, in the summertime, especially south of here, but I guess you don't have to go too much south because we get warm weather up here too. The the chlorine residuals can be can fluctuate inside of a tank as well. If you're only using a small amount, say a 20% turnover, and you don't have active mixing, you're just turning over the bottom 20%. And so the upper portion of your tank, your chlorine residual is going to start to deteriorate and get used up. When you have active mixing, your chlorine is going to stay the same top to bottom within two-tenths, one-tenth of the residual. Okay, what are some of the other things? You know, there's stratification. So when people hear that word, what do they think? What do they need to know? Well, stratification is uh, very similar to a lake. If you jump in a lake and you go down five, six, seven feet, you'll feel that thermocline. That same thing can happen in a tank. As you're pulling that water out to 20%, if you don't have any mixing, that's the only water that's moving. It's cooler water, it stays in the bottom. So you got your warmer water on top. So you can have a difference. We've seen it as high as over 25 degrees. Oh, wow. Difference from top to bottom. Now, that was a 100-foot deep tank. But, you know, on these 40-foot tanks, you know, it's not uncommon to see 8, 9, 10 degrees difference from the top to the bottom. And in 40 feet of water, that's a big difference. Yes, it is. It is. And it can really make a big difference on your chlorine residual. Example, if you have low chlorine and... Unfortunately, if you have a fire event and you pull that top water in, if you don't use it all, now you've got low chlorine water that's going to get throughout your distribution system. Also, in probably, you know, when the tank turns over in the fall, I mean, it'll do just like a lake. It'll want to turn over September, October. You're going to flip that tank and the chlorine at the top of the tank or the lack of chlorine in that water is going to get in your distribution system and can cause some odor issues and uh, maybe even some compliance issues. Also, talk a little bit about, you know, different things like biofilm. How, does active mixing help with things like that or just because the water gets moving instead of being stagnant all the time? Well, biofilm is going to build up on the outside of the tank, you know, just because of its age. And if you got water that is stagnant and you're only replacing the 20 percent once the chlorine residual is used up in that upper portion you can have biofilm start to form by having active mixing you keep your chlorine residual equal top to bottom keeps that biofilm from forming we've kind of established that you know we recommend as a company at mcguire iron active mixing systems we've talked about some of the issues that cause the need for an active mixing system But out there in the marketplace, you hear a lot about active mixing versus passive mixing. What is the difference for people who don't understand? Like, they think, okay, because I'm putting water in my tank and taking water out, that's mixing it. What's the difference? Active mixing is where you've got a a machine that's pulling water into it and pushing it out at a higher rate. Passive mixing is, example, you run a pipe to the top of your tank. In, and then you pump the water to the top of the tank and shoot it out into the tank. 
that's a very localized passive mixing. Um, what we see happening in those cases is the water, if the water is cooler, it really is just going to drop right through that very quickly, and you have just a very localized mixing going on. Um, it just isn't going to be enough for what you need to have fully mixed in your tank. And I'm guessing that's especially true the larger size of tank you get because you just have so much more water that needs to be moved in a, moved constantly. Yeah, I would say the larger you get, but you know, generally, even on the smaller tanks, the water isn't coming in as fast, so it's usually proportionate. Okay. You know, water coming in in a large tank, they're usually filling pretty quickly, and um, it just really isn't, in, in our opinion, a, a good situation for either one. So talk about an active mixing system. So I determine that I need a mixer in my tank, an active mixing system from SolarBee. Talk me through the process of what it is, how it's installed. You know, does it run all the time? Does it just run some of the time? Just give me the overview of how it works. Well, first of all, I'd like to say, you know, some important things, information to have to give you a good recommendation is to understand how many gallons are going through the tank each day, how many gallons per minute can be pumped into the tank at any one time, because you don't, in certain situations, you don't want to have short circuiting going on. From, from those two things, then we start to look at the size of the tank. If you have, um, you know, a 500,000 gallon tank versus a 5 million gallon tank, you're going to want to take a different approach. So you mentioned short circuiting. Explain what that is to people who might not know. Uh, short circuiting is when you have a tank that has a, a separate inlet and a separate outlet. Okay. And you bring water in on the bottom and you take water out on the bottom. Well, it's just going to go in that that and shoot right across to the outlet. What you want to do is put a mixer in between. Active mixing in between that will stop that short circuiting, and then you truly have the same water age throughout the whole tank. Okay. It's going to equal the detention time. Awesome. Thank you. I think that's an important point to make to people that have a tank of that type of style. So back to the the mixing, how you determine what you need, and where we go from there. With, with that, you know, we have several distributors. We're very happy to have uh, McGuire Iron being one of them. You know, working with them, um, you know, generally what what happens is uh, we ship the mixer out of our location um, to the generally to the site itself. Um, the mixer can be lowered in through a hatch, and it doesn't have to be in the center of the tank either. I think that's important to know too, because most people think, okay, I got to drop this thing right in the center by the riser so that it does what it's supposed to do, but that's not the case. No, it, it does not because water is sitting in layers in that tank and it's going to pull water all the way across the tank from the other side before it's going to pull a few feet above it. And that's how you're going to constantly get your good mix. And it's truly important to have your mixer as close to the bottom of the tank as possible. Mixing, I mean, we'd like to say within inches of the bottom because you want to mix the whole tank the bottom and the sides is what we call our boundary layer. That's the way we label it. And that you want to make sure and bring water across that boundary layer because it has chlorine in it, and it's going to use up, you know, take care of any bacteria that might be growing. 
when you when you talk about putting a mixer an inch or two from the tank floor, do you do do your mixers sit right on the floor? Are they suspended somehow? Like what what's the best way for them to work like they're supposed to? Actually, each individual tank is a little bit different. Okay. If you have a flat bottom tank with a you know flat floor, set it right on the. So floor. we're talking ground storage tanks, yep. stand pipes, things like that. Exactly. Okay. Just let it set right on the floor. Um, even some taller tanks that are have larger capacity, if they kind of have a flat surface, great. Um, in you know a five hundred thousand gallon tank, if you've got a very sloped bottom, then you can hang the tank or hang the mixer from the chain that we use to install it, and just hang it as close to the bottom of the tank as possible, but probably not touching the edge. Because you get a little, may get a little vibration or something like that. And you want to keep it level, I'm guessing, so it runs, so the ribbon of water that comes out of the top is as even as possible. Yes, yes. You want that going straight up as if possible. I know one of the questions uh, a lot of people have is okay, do I have to drain my tank to install a mixer? What's the best way to install? Like, what are the recommendations you guys have for installing a mixer? With our GS mixer and our solar mixer, we do not recommend draining the tank. Um, that's, you know, specially designed so you can lower it in, you know, if you do use all the precautions to disinfect it and everything, you can lower it in with a chain, the cord goes with it, you tie the chain off at the, um, pipe or the threads that go through to hold the junction box on top. And that way you're allowed that if down the road, 10 years, you have to replace the motor or something you can pull it out without taking the tank offline. And that's a huge thing for a lot of operators is not having to use all the water in their tank or drain it and then install something, refill it, retest it, and just go through that whole process. So you've taken one step out for them. Yes, yes. That was one of the important things that we looked at in designing this is to make sure they didn't have to take their tank offline, you know, affecting any of their normal operations. When we talk about a mixer from SolarBee, what kind of lifespan are we talking about with a mixer? Because I'm guessing people will think, okay, if I put it in there, I can set it and forget it and it's going to last forever. And we all know that's not the case. But what kind of lifespan can somebody expect? Well, it has a design life of 25 years Okay. with one moving part, which is the motor. And we expect, we give it a five-year warranty, but we expect that motor to last anywhere from six to 10 years. Okay. So you'll probably need two or three motor changes throughout its life. Okay. And we do provide a core exchange. Oh, okay. So that if you do have a problem and it's out of warranty, you know, you call us up, we'll send out the unit ahead of time. So you only have to make one climb and you drop the pull the other one out, drop the other one, the new one in, and put the old one in a box and send it back to us and we rebuild it for the next guy. Oh, that's handy. Now, let's talk, we talked about, okay, how do we power a mixer? And you said you have different options for how you power a mixer. I'm guessing the the standard version is, okay, you have to run power to a junction box at the top of the tank. And with a name like Solar B, I'm guessing there's another option there. So explain the different options and how you power your mixers. Okay, our GS mixers are powered by electric. It can be 120 or 240, you know, whatever power you happen to have at the tank. And uh, that'll be, you know, run from 
you got a skater box generally at the bottom, run a power cord up to the top to the junction box, and hooks into the cord that's coming from the mixer. So it's pretty straightforward that way. We do have um, a unit called the Solar Bee, which is, operates totally on solar energy. It's a floating unit, sits on the top of the, floats on the top of the water surface, has an intake that goes down to the bottom, and it operates totally on solar energy and has a battery backup. And we run a cord in, the panel is mounted on the top of the tank with a battery and a cord through a penetration and powers the unit inside. So you've got a couple different options depending on, you know, what what is available for power at the tank. Yeah. Yeah, it's the solar bee seems like it's getting to be it's it's a more popular out in areas where there's no power. I'm guessing more of a rural water yeah. scenario. Yep, in in some situations or if you have a very large tank and okay. need need a direct flow of 3000 gallons a minute or more using solar energy um, that's usually where that comes into play is where we know we get some direct flow like for example in in the use uh, for treating thms okay. in, in a tank mm-hmm. we'll want to know exactly what that flow rate is and have a, a good amount to go along with the thm removal system that we have does it matter the size of your tank will i guess my question is is whether it's a solar bee or a grid bee is the size of the tank matter as to how many mixers I need, or will one mixer take care of my tank no matter what size? <laughs> That's probably a yes and a no question. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, generally, one mixer is going to take care of it. I mean, I have put in um, a GS12 mixer in an 8 million gallon underground tank, and it's completely mixed that tank very well. Okay. But there was only a million gallons going, da- going through it on a daily basis. If you have a 1 million gallon tank or a 2 million gallon tank and you're pushing, you know, 2 million gallons through it or more, you may or may not need a larger larger mixer because you want it to keep up with the inflow. Gotcha. You don't want to have that short circuiting happening. So that's why it's important to give good information up front so that we can help size it correctly. And sometimes we get accused of asking too many questions, but it, it really does help. And in many cases, it may save the customer some money so that we don't over-suggest um, what, what model to get. Well, and I'm, I'm sure that you know a lot of water tanks out there have SCADA, so they have good information of, okay, here's what's going in, here's what's coming out. What happens in that smaller town scenario where they have a 50,000-gallon cone-top tank in town and they can kind of estimate, but they don't know exactly. How do you guys handle situations like that where the data is not as great? If we get under 300,000 gallon tank, you know, down to that size, the 50,000 gallon tank, our smallest unit is going to take care of it. Our GS9 mixer is simply going to pretty much take care of it. That was my question because it seems like at, at some level, it's like, okay, we have a solution for this this yeah. type of issue. And we have CFD modeling for a lot of different sizes using our mixers. And so we can show examples that generally are going to be pretty close to the scenarios that 
we're given. And that was my other question. When you when customers talk to you or come to you and say, hey, I'm looking at a mixer for this, you guys actually have models and data that you can show, okay, here's here's how it mixes the tank, here's how much water gets moved, that type of thing. Exactly. Yep. We, uh, we've done a lot of... Uh, a lot of work in the field. Um, we believe in being m- more active in the field. We have our own delivering installation group that, I mean, they don't put all of them in, but they also keep us close to what's going on. And if something needs to be changed, we can react pretty quickly so that the next people don't have those issues. We're f- finding fewer and fewer of those, but in the beginning when you're developing a product, you know, making a change fairly quickly really makes a big difference yeah talk a little bit about um you hit on a little bit ago the thm removal i know this is another big issue that's becoming more prominent people are are looking at more what kind of what kind of products do you have that help with the thm issue we have developed a a spray aeration system about uh, seven eight years ago and it's become pretty popular we have over 300 systems installed throughout the country in some uh, overseas. And what it does is basically it volatilizes THMs out of the water. Explain to people what THMs are if they don't know what those are. THMs, uh, trihalomethanes, is a carcinogen that's in the water that can be formed by chlorine hitting um, organic compounds in, in the water coming mostly from surface water rivers and lakes and when they form they can form the thms and you're allowed 80 parts per billion per billion per billion okay and um you know that's always been there but in the last 10 years it's stepped up and being regulated a little bit more so the te- so what you're saying is regulators are looking for that more and testing for it whereas in the past it may not have been regulated as highly yes that that's true and also, there wasn't a means to get rid of them, you know, until about 10, 12 okay. years ago, you know, when it started to get regulated more, people started looking for solutions because, you know, there was there was money available to take care of the problem. And uh, that's what caused us to get into that line of work. And so you talked about your aeration system. So how does it exactly work and what does it do to remove the THMs? Well, ours is... Uh, Unique, where we're using a floating platform that we use for the solar bee that's on the surface of the tank. We mount a, a pump to that sur- to that platform that hangs about a foot and a half below the surface. Okay. And our spray nozzle, which we developed, uh, it has a unique spray nozzle where we're pushing out, but yet it has gaps so that air can get to the backside of the, the spray and uh, you know when those two connect, when you spray spray it out, you're you're allowing the water to come in contact with more air, and that volatilizes the THMs out. So the key is having the most economical way to lift water and move it a short distance, but yet have it exposed as much as possible to the atmosphere. Because in a normal tank, without one of these, the only air it's touching is at the surface level. Right. And sometimes just with mixing, because you're getting this constant surface renewal, yep. you can see a, a small amount of reduction. 
Okay. You know, we've seen anywhere to sometimes up to 5%. So your regular GS mixers will remove a small amount of THMs. I, I would say may remove. Okay, sorry, may <laughs> remove a small amount of THMs you, you just know, because of the water movement and it's moving air into the water. That's right. Okay. And then the other unique thing to remember is that THMs, when they are volatilized, are heavier than air. Okay. So they have a tendency to want to drop back into the water column. And that's why every system we put a an air exchange blower on the top of the tank and blow air into the tank to exhaust it to the vent. Gotcha. And we okay. always blow air in so that we reduce the threat of any collapsing of the tank. If you try and suck it out, you may, if you get something around your vent, yep. you could uh, cause a a problem with uh, collapsing the tank or something. Or in a fire event where you've got to do a quick drawdown of that tank. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And so are there certain parts of the country where you see the need for THM removal is higher than others based on the surface water, or is this just something that's kind of a case-by-case basis depending on the surface water that you, that, that community or rural water district's using? Generally, it's with most surface water. Okay. Um, around the Great Lakes, it isn't as bad because they got they draw generally deep enough and they got pretty good water. Okay. But if you get into areas that you're close to the surface, you got algae dealing with, you got rivers bringing, you know, matter out of force and stuff like that. So you're generally just going to have okay. more um, TOCs in the water. Okay. And that's generally where it happens. Now, some places go to using chloramines rather than chlorine, and chloramines can stop the formation. Okay. So, you know, that's another way. But there's becoming more studies out on chloramines, and, you know, you're going to need to watch that data on what's coming down the road with, you know, the use of chloramines. Okay. Yeah, It's it seems like as... As water science advances that, you know, and drinking water and potable water in general is becoming more of a, I don't want to say scarce resource, but people are paying attention to it more. You know, we see a lot more of the the mixing and all of this type of stuff because people, people want quality water. Yes. Yes. It's very important and uh, it, it's a necessity and we have to take care of it. And that's another reason, you know, we developed another product just this last year called our residual HQ system. Okay. And what that does is it monitors your tank. It's constantly pulling water out of your tank, checking your chlorine residual. And if it gets to a point where it's lower than the set point you have, okay. say you want it at two parts all the time and it's pulling it out and it got down to 1.7, it'll automatically add enough chlorine into a, a pre-mixed tank mm-hmm. and then it'll feed it into our mixer to distribute it throughout the tank. Okay. And um, in in one system that we have, we're starting to see that they're using less chlorine at their water plant because they can take care of... They can chlorinate it at the tank. They can chlorinate it at the tank and uh, overall chlorine usage is less Therefore, we're seeing less THMs formation. Okay. Because the more chlorine you use, the more THMs you create. Mm -hmm. So there's more management tools coming out. 
That was my next question, and you kind of led into it already, is what are some of the new technologies? What are the things you guys are looking at? This is one specific instance to say, okay, here's a problem. Now, how do we create a solution to deal with it? Are there any anything else that Medora is working on that is is new technology or a, a way to solve a problem? Well, one of the things that recently was brought to our attention by a rural water circuit rider was uh, the need to monitor a tank temperature-wise in the wintertime. So we have a temperature probe system. Now is, it, now, is he talking about the air temperature in the tank or the actual water temperature in the tank? The water temperature. Okay. So when it gets very cold out, he can monitor his water temperature. If we have sub-zero temperatures for 20 days or 15 days, um, heaven forbid. But <laughs> Which is a thing that happens very, very, not rarely, but happens all the time in the north. Right. And uh, he can watch his temperature in his water tank and what's going into his pipes. Okay. And if he starts seeing that creep toward the 32 degrees, he now has that knowledge and can maybe do something about it, Mm -hmm. whether he, you know, opens a faucet and lets some run for two, three days till he gets through the the cold spell, something like that. So we have a few systems out already where we're monitoring the top and the bottom water temperature and feeding it back through SCADA. That's, you know, and it, it seems like such a simple thing, but when you're armed with knowledge like that, you can you can make decisions faster that help maybe prevent something like your t- tank icing up or something. Or pipe sooner. freezing in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's it's all these little things that, you know, when we turn on a faucet, we take for granted that all these things are happening in the background to get quality water to our home. Yep. And and we're seeing more and more regulations come on monitoring the water just because of certain events that have happened across the country that they want to keep tabs on what that quality of water is before the community uses it. And uh, we think this is one way of, of doing that and having our residual HQ system to keep it up to par and as close to the target as possible all the time is going to be another tool for uh, these uh, municipalities to use. Let people know if they need, if they have questions and need to get a hold of Medora or you, how can they go about finding more information? We have a website, uh, medoraco.com, and uh, we have a lot of information on there. We, we have a series, what we call whiteboard video series, they're usually three minutes in length, and uh, we try and cram a lot of information into those three minutes to make sure we're not using up a lot of people's time, but yet give them the tools they need. And also, if they need, they can go back and review them again. It isn't a one-time thing. So uh, we keep them available all the time. Um, we have case studies on our website so that you know what other people are doing sometimes can relate to what our customer someplace else needs. All right, awesome. That's medoraco.com. So check them out. And Michael, thanks for joining us on the McGuire Iron Podcast. All right, thank you. I appreciate being here. Remember, you can always connect with us by going to our website, mcguireiron.com. You can ask questions by sending us an email at info at or you can follow or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us on the McGuire Iron Podcast.